All right, if you are a realtor looking to flip houses, we are going to take a deep dive into the house flipping strategy today that has helped our guest flip 19 homes over the past year. And we are going to dive into that right now. But first, welcome to the Freedom Chasers Six Figure Strategies podcast. If you're an agent or an investor yet to hit six figures, this is the show for you. We take a deep dive into strategies to help you achieve the goal of six figures so that you can grow up to seven figures eventually. If you want even more in-depth knowledge, sign up for our weekly mastermind for only $100 a month. That will be in the link below. So I'm sitting here with Bradley Labrie with Keller Williams First and Elevation Construction Group in Davison, Michigan. Bradley flips homes. He uses the Burr strategy, wholetails, builds and develops all sorts of fun stuff. He does this all while managing a KW brokerage at the same time. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bradley. Um, how are you doing this afternoon? Great, Tim. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure, brother. So let's talk about house flipping. Let's first start with a um, bird's eye view of your process, and then we'll kind of dive deeper into the how-tos and how you're able to achieve 19 homes over the past year. Uh, we vertically integrated in 2020 and um, brought in the uh, construction uh, company aspect to you know flipping. Um, I originally got into real estate in 2014 and uh, sort of did the whole you know, slow and steady approach. And um, 2020, we really started to pour some gasoline on the fire. And so one of the key aspects that I uh, identified years ago really was just the labor component. Um, it's, in my opinion, the X factor, uh, you know, of, of kind of where we're headed and, and what I want to do, at least as a company. And um, so, so you know, we, we started a construction company in 2020. Uh, we have eight-man crew full-time, um, uh, it's pretty diverse crew. So, you know, we have, uh, licensed me uh, mechanical, um, licensed electrician, uh, we have, uh, you know, framers, et cetera. And so, um, we're able to tackle the majority, um, of the projects and really our, uh, unique, uh, niche in, in our market is we take on, uh, you know, condemned and, and fire damage stuff. So, uh, we take on about as big of a project as you can take. Um, you know, of course we're not opposed to some of the smaller ones, but we just really have a niche there. Uh, we, we, we're good at it. Uh, we're efficient at it. And so, um, you know, long story short, it's just, uh, we take on kind of the worst of the worst. Loving this, loving this. Um, especially specializing in fire damage. I actually worked with Elijah Rubin. I don't know if you know who that is, but he's, he markets himself as the fire damage king. So cool. Like, let's talk about this then, because I love that you're in a niche because typically the riches are in the niches. So how did the niche that you got into develop? Did you start attacking it at the beginning or did that develop over time? No, no. So, uh, you know, everyone asked me how I got started. Well, I, I lost every penny I, I uh, put into my first deal, you know, so it, it didn't start out uh, great. But um, you learn and, uh, you know, you, you just kind of, uh, view them as, I guess, seminars and, and, uh, you know, you just reevaluate and, and reassess. And so slowly and surely from 2014 to 2020, um, you know, myself originally, and then when I got married, my wife and I just kind of slowly started building up a portfolio. And, and so I, I was doing live-in flips to start, um, after that first experience and then got into kind of the small multifamily and did a lot of house hacking stuff, uh, with small multifamily. And then we, continue to buy multifamily. Um, and then, uh, like I said, in, in 2020, uh, a little bit after COVID, um, I had seen the writing on the wall for quite some time, uh, you know, just in the labor pool. Um, and I guess I had the epiphany that, 
you know, from my perspective, over the last maybe 50 years, the proximity to money, money was the most crucial point of having a, a, a real estate company. And in my opinion, uh, especially, you know, now and, and certainly, certainly then it was, um, you know, labor. Because I, I just feel that there's, uh, you know, abundance of money, uh, you know, and, and people that will trust you if you have the component of labor down. So, so we really focus on that in 2020 and 2021. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and so started off, you know, again, not taking on the biggest projects, but then, um, you know, we, we, I really want to make my uh, imprint on my community that that means a lot to me. Um, I'm a board member. Uh, you know, and, and so I'm involved with, with our local township and things of that nature. Um, so taking on, you know, condemned properties, properties, nobody wants to touch, um, you know, bringing back a tax base to the community like that, that sort of stuff really appeals to me. So, um, a combination of, you know, taking on those projects, but also really bringing a tremendous amount of value, um, because so often in our community, there's, there'll be people that'll buy these properties that are, you know, whether they're fire damaged or whatever they might be. And they probably don't fully understand what that project entails, or they want to take shortcuts and ultimately they harm the community. And so we wanted to do it right. Uh, we have a, you know, probably the thing that I take most pride in is our reputation with the building department. Um, you know, they, you know, when I buy a property, I have full confidence that they trust us. I mean, he's got, you know, they got a job to do. And they want to know it right, but I know that uh, you know they have enough confidence in us to to work with us, um, not to take shortcuts, but just that they're gonna they're gonna understand what we want to do, allow us to do it, um, you know, as long as we follow the rules and and all of that. So I'm really proud of of that reputation that we've we've uh, been able to kind of form with the local building departments. Very cool stuff, man. I'm gonna dial this back a little bit because you mentioned you lost money on your first one. Um, I've actually lost money three or four times and I can tell you I've learned far more money or I've learned far more having lost money than any of the times I've made money. So I'd love to discuss um, what were the things that you learned from the ones that you weren't making money on and how did you change your strategy moving forward? You know, that first property I bought because it was the cheapest house I could find, you know, and so um, uh, now I was, I was 20 years old and uh you know, so I just scraped together everything I had and, and kind of bought it because I thought it was cheap. And I guess what I learned from it was um, value and, and costs are two different things. And so um, that was the greatest lesson that I learned was, you know, to, to focus on value um, more so than the cost of something. And that's a really that's a really, really challenging thing to uh, to, to grasp. Uh, but then even when you grasp, it, it's even more of a challenge to kind of implement it. But um you know, it took years of kind of, you know, uh, figuring that out. And now we really fully understand that. Like we, we, we go for value. It doesn't necessarily matter to the cost. We have a tremendous amount of, uh, private investors that, uh, you know, we, I only take money from three right now, but you know, several people in the community and, and people that are peers of mine, you know, have interest in investing and, and things of that nature. So it's, it's not about the money. It's about, uh, the value of the project and then the value you can bring to the community. So long story short, you know, that, that was the lesson that I learned in that one. Um, you know, thankfully, uh, we haven't necessarily lost money, um, in any other project that we've gotten ourselves into. I mean, there have been, you know, uh, worse projects than other ones, probably the, the thing that, you know, and some of the other ones that weren't, um, quite as uh, lucrative for us. It was either um, the holding costs, which oftentimes, you know, even, even somebody like myself will, will, will try to uh, diminish upfront and say, oh, it'll only take X. 
um, it always, always, always takes, you know, uh, you know, we jokingly say, you know, twice as long and twice as much as we anticipate, um, you know, and then, and then at least for us, the first 90% of the project, you know, you know, we joke and say it takes 10% of the time and the last 10% takes 90% of the time. So, um, you know, so, you know, those are sort of just jokes that we have within our organization, but, but it, they're, they're true. And, and, uh, so really it's, it's either holding costs that we underestimate, um, or sometimes, you know, I've, I have, um, you know, had partners that just weren't great situations for us. And so, uh, you know, so we've really focused, um, especially this year and heading into 2023 on, on, uh, being even more cautious with, with who we, uh, who we partner with and who we surround ourselves with. Um, and then also, you know, being more cognizant of, of, you know, the time it's going to take, uh, because again, we do take on some big projects. So, um, you know, uh, so, <laughs> I have a habit of buying, you know, buying far more than, than, uh, you know, the, the size of our company. So we're just trying to kind of manage all that. And Absolutely, man. Great answer. I loved, um, the value versus cost, um, bit that you said at the beginning. So I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into that. Like when you're underwriting a property now, are you projecting a certain value that you want it in return for the cost? Like for example, if you spent $30,000 in repairs, are you looking to make $60,000 in value? Do you have a formula like that? Or is there a different approach that you're taking? Yeah, we, we typically purchase anywhere in the uh, 30 to 35% ARV is our, is our kind of our target purchase price uh, because of, um, you know, the, the type of properties that we typically buy. Um, and so, you know, and we end up typically in the, um, you know, 60 to 65, sometimes 70% ARV all in, uh, including closing costs. So those are, those are typically our numbers. Um, we'll deviate a little bit from that, especially if it's in our community and it's a project that means something to us. So that that's something that, you know, kind of like um, not, not value investing from the aspect of value monetarily, but value investing in like how much value we're bringing to community is really something that uh, my wife and I never really like cognitive, you know, really talked about a lot, but we really transitioned into that a few years ago where, you know, if we're going to buy a property, we want it to be in our, in our community or the surrounding communities we, uh, you know, we believe in and we want it to be for a reason, you know, so we'll go, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take on a project that might, you know, bend our rules a little bit, uh, financially, if it's something that'll really bring a lot of value to the community. And, um, and so we've, we've done that a few times now. Uh, you know, we, we bought the original schoolhouse in our community, um, which needed a tremendous amount of work. And so that was more so, um, just, a you know, to revitalize the community, we'll see what happens. You know, it's kind of tough to predict what the, what the, um, value on that will be. Um, but we do a lot of that just because we, we really are cognizant of our community and, and the kind of, um, impact we can have on, on, on a, a small community. I love the impact that you're going for, you know, eventually in your career, you end up leaning towards fulfillment a little bit more than income because as anybody that's made a decent amount of money knows, you know, money's not going to buy you happiness. It's just not going to happen. But you know, the more you help people, um, the better off you're going to feel. Generally speaking, uh, I'm loving that you're getting these at 30 to 35% ARV. That's telling me that these are definitely hefty rehabs. So you're not kidding about the fire damage and the, <laughs> and, and, uh, um, in the, in the knocked up properties. So what I would like to talk about here is, is fire damage in particular, like what mistakes do you think investors are making now when they're purchasing fire damage, um, that you could help them avoid if you, if you shared it right now? I think one thing a lot of investors, especially newer investors underappreciate is, um, 
experts in, in industries, you know? And so I, I know for a really long time, I personally, um, you know, want to do a lot of the, a lot of the just planning and all this sort of stuff on my own. Cause I thought I could save money and things of that nature. And the wiser that I get, the more I lean on experts. So number one, um, it's fully assessing the project before we get into it. You know, it's not buying the project and then figuring out. Um, so, you know, we have, uh, structural engineering reports that obviously need to be done depending on the, uh, the scope of the project. Um, the most recent one we just bought, uh, happened to be a DIY electrical install for solar panels and the uh, electrical caught fire. And, um, so we have to, you know, we have to redo all 34, uh, it's either 33 or 34 uh, trusses on the main part of the house. Um, so it's, it's getting, you know, it's assessing, uh, with the building department, what they're, you know, what, and then it's pretty straightforward with most building departments, but then it's getting a structural engineering report and, um, just really fully comprehending exactly what it's going to cost, what it's going to do. Uh, but once you get those things out of the way and you, you have a game plan with a contractor, um, you have a game plan with, uh, structural engineer in the building department. Um, it's pretty straightforward. It's like a new build. Right. And so, um, uh, you know, I happen to uh, do a lot of that. Um, and uh, so, so once you get the, you know, the shell, so to speak of the house and you're down to the the studs and, and all of that, it's um, pretty straightforward, you know, from there, putting it back together. So it's just kind of assessing. So let's talk about acquisition strategies. Um, what strategy are you using to find these properties below market? Yeah. So uh, it depends on, you know, what it is. I mean, we buy a decent amount off the MLS um, we, we do a lot of direct mail. Um, we pull the, uh, the, the, you know, the local, um, you can go county or local, uh, fire report, uh, you know, to understand, um, you know, you know, if you're looking for fires and I think no matter what strategy you do, cold calling, right. You know, we, we, all, all of the above, uh, we've acquired properties with, but I think, um, the thing that a lot of people uh, probably, either don't fully comprehend or certainly don't implement is value first. And so what we do when it comes to fire properties is we really, really understand the insurance side of things because we deal with it a lot. And so our, our intro letter will look something like, you know, hello, uh, this is Bradley Debris. I live locally. You know, my wife and I live here locally. So sorry to hear about the fire uh, that happened at your house. Um, you know, we are local experts when it comes to, uh, you know, fire restoration. Um, we also own a local brokerage, but really the, this letter is just here to try to provide you value, you and your family value on, uh, you know, if you want to restore your house. So what we'll do is say, Hey, this is what it looks like. Here are the three best contractors when it comes to fire restoration. I'm talking about like grade A contractors, not, you know, the cheapest, we, you know, we, obviously reputation is there. So we're only giving them the, the three best we feel in the area. And what, what happens time and time and again, it happened to both of the last two fire damage properties I bought, um, is they'll contact the contractors. The contractors will come out and they'll say, you know, depending on the house and scope work, but they may say, you know, 150, 200 grand, whatever, whatever it might be for the restoration. Uh, and they'll say, this is a three month quote. So we can only lock it in for three months. By the way, we can't be back out here for 11 months. So basically what they say is here's a three month quote. We'll, we'll come back out, you know, on month nine to then reassess you then and give you a new quote. And so, you know, what, what happens is, um, that kind of uncertainty, you know, first of all, 
So it's going to take 10, 11 months for them to get out there. And then depending on the length of the project, it could be a 12 month project, you know, with, with, because of all the signing off has to go on with the insurance companies, all this sort of stuff. So it can be a really long project and very few people want to wait that out, right? Unless it's really a family home and spend the family for, you know, whatever. So, so what happens is when you lead with value, you, you tend to gain trust and we genuinely lead with value. You know, it's not a facade. Um, you know, again, we're, we're genuinely want to help the community. So if they want to restore their home, that's what we want to do. Uh, but if they decide not to, we are the ones that will ultimately, you know, help them to service them the best, because what will happen is if, if they, you know, try to, you know, if other people start contacting us, probably a wholesaler and, you know, not that I, you know, I have a lot of good wholesaling, wholesaling friends, but typically wholesalers, um, you know, promise a lot of things, don't necessarily have the connections to get it done. And, and the homeowner wastes even more time, emotional, you know, distress, et cetera. So we genuinely believe in the value that we're bringing because we know we're going to close. We know we're going to give them the, the top dollar that they can uh, to actually close it. Um, and then we're also giving them a clear and concise path regardless of what they want to do. So, so it depends, uh, you know, on the strategy, uh, again, like we do direct, direct mail campaigns, um, for, you know, uh, non-owner occupied. So, so probably, uh, landlords, they might be getting a little bit tired. Um, you know, whenever I'm driving, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily call it driving for dollars, but I mean, I'm, I'm always out in different areas. I always take a different way home. You know, even though I've been here the majority of my life, I always find a road that I've never been down. Um, and when I see a place, I jot it down in my notes on my phone, you know, or in Siri. And when I get back to the office, I'll send them a, a, a handwritten note. And so I've always, um, I, you know, if it's me personally, like my, my assistant and some of, I have wholesalers within our office, they'll do a lot of postcard direct campaign because it's cheaper. But when I find properties out in about when I'm personally driving, I do something handwritten because I just feel like it's it's more personal. I get a higher rate of a callback. And I've had people, you know, a year, two years, three years down the road say, hey, you you wrote me, you know, way back when I totally forgot about this house or what, you know, that even existed. Are you still interested in buying? So um, so I, pr I prefer, you know, uh, kind of the handwritten touch. A lot of times I'll type something up and then I'll kind of like say your friend, you know, and, and sign my name or whatever. So it won't be fully handwritten, but um, I still, you know, sign the envelope, whatever. Um, so so all the above, you know, a lot of cold calling. Uh, you know, we could get into that. We have dialers. Um, so we'll we'll do a lot of what's called circle prospecting for some of our listings or just for investors. So like we'll, we'll you know, if, if we have investors or ourselves that are really targeting an area, we'll, we'll cold call the entire area and just see what kind of value, you know, we can bring to them. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we, we have a lot of different, you know, campaigns to get to the seller, but it's always, always, always uh, value first. Uh, you know, if I'm the one doing it anyway, you know, and, and I always preach it to my team as well. It's just value first, genuinely try to help people. Good things happen. 100%. Value first is the only way to do it. So, I mean, to boil this down, it sounds like you're getting an absentee owner list, you're getting an out-of-state landlord list, and you're supplementing that with some driving for dollars, you're cold calling them, you're, you're doing mailers, and um, a lot of circle prospecting and things of that nature that is boiled down to the brass tacks, essentially the acquisition strategy on top of the MLS. Especially a younger, you know, if I had to tell something to my 20-year-old self again, um, something that I probably would not have given a whole lot of credence to is just the kind of reputation you can make, you know, and um, I mean, a lot of this stuff, we'll get calls from, you know, the the building department or a township. 
and just say, hey, you know, you've done three or four here. Um, we're about to condemn this. You know, it's going to cost the township X amount of dollars if they have to demo it. Uh, very few people are actually going to do it. Typically, what they'll make myself do or another investor do is purchase a bond uh, to cover that demo cost. And very few investors are, are going to want to do that unless they really fully understand the project and are going to finish it. So, um, so like the most recent, uh, or the fire damage house that this week, we're actually clearing out all the final inspections on. Um, that's what happened. We, we, we had a bond. Um, I actually came up with the idea of a bond because the lady that I was buying it from, she would have had that withhold that money, uh, from the proceeds, you know, and I, I didn't want that to happen because it was somebody that was going through a traumatic situation. So instead of the township holding her money, I said, I'll put up the bond and um we'll get to the finish line and those sort of things build a reputation where people will call you when it's the benefit of the township and it would call you know or whatever and so um we get we get some of that too and and if if people here listening want to do this like you and i for a really long time it's always always reputation over you know an, an immediate buck and if you if you do that for a long enough time you'll garner reputation and uh, things will start coming your way as well. Precisely. Reputation and relationship management is, is one of the most important things in a real estate business. So you've mentioned this a few times, um, how much you like working with the city and how much you've kept your reputation high working with them. I'd love to have some quick tips for anybody that's new to flipping. Like how do they approach the city and how do you approach that process in general in order to keep it on the up and up? As we both know, a lot of flippers, they skip the permitting process. So you're obviously doing it the right way. But let's walk through somebody that doesn't know, like how that process looks, at least in your area. I guess in, in this community, kind of a touchy subject, you know, a lot of people, I know a lot of people that don't pull permits. Um, for me, uh, liability is a big, I mean, you're in the real estate industry too. Um, you know, as far as sales, I mean, liability is our biggest you know, problem in, in that industry. Um, and so we take a lot of precautions as brokerages, uh, you know, against that. So it's the same kind of concept, I guess, in, in the flipping world, we, we really, um, consider the liability aspect of it. I mean, the, you know, some of the projects we do are significant projects and, um, and at the end of the day, you can't warranty everything you do. So, so I guess to, to further that number one, we pull permits on everything. So we get, signatures on, you know, by the state and the billing department, um, you know, that, that they believe that we did a quality job. Number two, we, we offer uh, home warranties for every flip we do. Um, it's just something that, that we've decided to do. We started that in 2021. We feel like it's a very small cost, uh, large gain, you know, um, in some aspects of a home, you know, like um, new fridge uh, or whatever. I mean, we've had problems with, with the warranty issue with the actual manufacturer, and it's just something we can't do. And it comes back on us, you know, of course. And so we provide a, a home warranty with it. It covers the majority of the home. And if we have issues, uh, you know, even small issues, we say, listen, this is why we purchased this, this warranty, you know, go through that company. So, so, um, so anyways, all of those type of things, permits, um, we, we just feel it as a uh, liability issue, a reputation issue. And, um, you know, if we want to have a great reputation, you have to do it the right way. And uh, if you want to do it a long time in this industry, you have to do it the right way. So um, it depends on the scope of the project, of course, uh, what we do almost every home. Um, you know, I'm, I'm buying one Thursday, which is the first one in, in quite some time that, you know, we're not going to have to pull a permit on. Uh, it's just a real basic, uh, you know, uh, well, I guess we, 
we've done a couple in the last couple months, but for the most part, everything we do, we're tearing open walls. And if you're tearing open walls, you got to pull permits. It's hard to avoid the permit process if the house is condemned or if it's fire damage because the city likely knows about it already in the first place, right? So <laughs> yeah, there's zero chance you're going to do that. Cool. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your strategies here. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Bradley Labrie, man. What's your vision for the new year? We just crossed into 2023. What are you guys looking to build this year? This past year, we've we've started a, uh, you know, a team um, within, within my, uh, within the office. And so, um, it's really kind of growing them and growing, growing the team aspect of it. Um, it, it kind of fires me up to do that because I think, uh, you know, just the way we do it, I think we do it right. And, and just, just like every other strategy we do, it's always value first. And so, um, we're kind of fired up about that because uh, a lot of the people that we brought into the team are having the best years of their career. And, um, uh, even, even as we shift, you know, so we're, we're pretty pumped about that. And, uh, um, you know, we, uh, uh, another kind of vertical integration into the, uh, into the mix is we, uh, we became silent owners of a title company, um, kind of helps us with a lot of our, uh, a lot of our projects when we got a quiet title and things of that nature just gives us some assurance and, and, and I guess skin in the game and, and, um, you know, who we're dealing with and how we're going to get things done. So, um, so that's something that we're excited about. Um, the construction company aspect of it, you know, we're trying to, one of the focuses on my end is kind of like stabilizing that and treating it as a, a legitimate company. So we're doing um, this year for the first time in, in the three years we've, we've had the company, we're doing uh, some work for investors. So, um, uh, you know, that way we can help um, continue to grow the construction company. Obviously it's, it's high overhead, you know, cause, uh, if you're going to have quality workers, it's, you know, it's, it's a, you're going to pay a premium. Um, so, so, uh, just kind of treating that more as a, as a company and, and a business and, um, you know, doing a little bit more work outside of just our own. Um, uh, so that, that's a focus of ours. And, um, uh, you know, we, we, we like, like we didn't mention too much, but we are, uh, you know, developing, uh, working on a 40 acre, uh, parcel, right now um it's got some wetlands in it so uh you know work with engineers and such so um uh just just you know a lot of that stuff is it's fun uh, i enjoy it it's a challenge every day every day is a little bit newer um working with a, a great developer and builder that's really kind of showing me the ropes of of the industry and and um so i represent him in his large sub and then we're doing some other stuff so um uh, it's been fun it's been a great experience and it's something that i you know, at some point, I don't know what kind of horizon that is. Cause when you, when you talk about building and developing, you're, you're talking about like 10 to 20, 30 year horizons when you're doing something. So I don't know when my, you know, real time is to, to really be the uh, point maker on something like that, but I'm, I'm learning and uh, it's fun. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, at some point I'll, I'll kind of uh, do one myself. Man, you got a ton of fun projects going on. Um, I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into the team that you're building, just in case anybody listening happens to be in the Davison, Michigan area. Um, I'd like to give you the opportunity. You mentioned you guys do it right. And you have a lot of newer agents or, or you have agents having their best year ever since moving over to your brokerage. So like, let's just talk briefly about what your brokerage offers for these agents, just in case they happen to be in the area so that they could reach out to you. Uh, I'm Keller Williams agent. I think we maybe mentioned that up front, but uh, own a um, uh, brokerage in, in Davison just started it. Um, and so, but from the team aspect, uh, we have team members that are almost exclusively uh, wholesalers. Um, so we have, we have several agents that don't do a whole lot of uh, traditional retail. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, about 
uh, we have five agents that really focus on, uh, you know, we just picked up our fifth agent, um, that that'll really focus on retail. Um, so, so, uh, you know, we, we are very engaged, um, in the community. So we do a ton of community engagement. Um, we, uh, we do a lot of, uh, customer appreciation events. So we are the, um, uh, main sponsor of the local hockey team here. Um, and so we do a lot of, uh, you know, customer appreciation events at the, at the stadium. We give it, we have season tickets, we give it away to our clients. Um, so we do a lot of client centric, uh, you, regardless of whether they're investing clients or traditional clients. Um, uh, we, we really focus on that and that's helped us really build a reputation. Um, and so as a team of just like the core, um, uh, uh, agents will do, you know, probably a little over 30 million this year, um, which isn't a staggering number, but, uh, it's pretty, pretty decent, you know, for, for us and what we're trying to do and, and get some real, uh, value to our agents and, and get them really earning, uh, the money that they want to earn. So, uh, it comes with growing pains, you know, I'm, 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 uh, you know, we're learning as we grow, um, uh, it took me, you know, longer than I like to admit to, um, to have to move on from my first assistant, because uh, I had the wrong person in the wrong seat, great person, just not the right fit. And so um, uh, last May, we hired a, a tremendous, uh, you know, she's now just, I consider her more of a facilitator than anything. Um, she's amazing. And, and uh, uh, she's really helped us uh, scale and grow. So uh, really what we do as a team different than most is we do um, uh, kind of a hybrid model of, uh, of team versus uh, solo agent. So we have uh, uh, a different split for, you know, what we bring to, to an agent versus what they get. So um, uh, typically it'd be, you know, if the agent brings their own lead, it'd be 80-20. Uh, if we bring the lead, to be 60-40. Um, so we, we have, uh, you know, pretty large market share now, um, you know, as, as brokered for a lot of the independents that, that work out here. But then our team's uh, really digging in as well. So it's, it's been fun. Very cool. And I love that you're hiring wholesalers intentionally. So you're basically running both models at the same time, which I think is the best way to do it. So Bradley, if the audience wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to get in touch? At Bradley Labrie, I think is my handle on, on pretty much all social medias. Um, uh, you know, soldbylabrie.com is, is our website. Um, uh, you know, House Hacking Success, we didn't mention very much, but that's a podcast that uh, one of my partners in, in Grand Rapids and I have done for a few years now. Um, so any of those, you know, people can reach out and, um, just kind of, you know, whatever it is, whatever kind of value, you know, I may be able to bring, uh, I'm here for that. Um, so for the listeners out there, go check out that house hacking podcast. Please reach out to Bradley. If you're in the area and you're looking to get some support and you're looking to learn how to get into real estate and potentially do so from the investing arm, as well as the retail arm, because Bradley here is obviously doing a ton of fun stuff. So thank you so much for joining us, Bradley. Really appreciate you sharing your, your growth in your business and your lifestyle. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we are doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, in particular on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money for the content creation game. So please do what you can to support the show. And remember, freedom is acquired one action at a time. We just went through how to flip a property, in particular fire damage properties. So if this is something you want to do, take massive action towards this strategy. Tell somebody you know that can help hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning in and we will catch you on the next one.